turn to John chapter 13. My original intent in going through John was to really to dig into some of the because I'd gone to John before, but I felt like there were some passages that I didn't understand very well, and, and I've been waiting for a long time to go back into them, so then I kind of my purpose then for going into John was to dig into some of those passages, particularly 7, 8, 9, and uh, we've gone through those, and uh, it's been helpful for me to understand, and I think uh, 10 and 11 and 12 are pretty straightforward. So in between the last time I spoke and now, I've kind of made it through those chapters, so now I'm in chapter 13, and I guess... I'll just share with you what I've been learning, and uh, we won't go through every chapter. So John chapter 13. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having already put it into Judas, into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, laid aside his garments, took a towel, and girded himself. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. And he came to Simon Peter, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing now you do not understand now, but you will know after this. And Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you you have no part with me. And Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, He who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. For he he knew who would betray him. Therefore he said, you are not all clean. This this chapter here marks a uh, complete change in the train of thought. Uh, From chapter 5 on up to chapter 12, it's been primarily focused on Jesus reaching out to the Israelites as they were rejecting him. And it's a big exposure of their hearts and gives us reason as to why they rejected him. <clears throat> and it's a very uh, a very full exposure. It shows, towards the end, he talks about how they are children of the devil and not children of God. And how they, and in chapter 12, it closes with the comment that they they would not believe, and so God blinded them as a result. Now he turns, and he's going to begin to talk to his disciples, and this has been, for me, is one of the more, uh, I don't know if scary is the right word, weighty chapters, like you barely dare to wander into this because it's the personal conversation between Jesus and his disciples, and there's things being shared here that are very rich and full, and I frankly have not felt in a position to really be able to dig into this, but now I'm beginning to go into it, and I'm hoping, I don't know, I I would like to get chapter 13 and 14 by by noon today, 
to get through both chapters because it seems to be one cohesive thought and I'd like to think about the whole thing together. So hopefully at least get close to doing that. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing as we dig into this part. Our Father, we come before you and would ask that you would guide and open the eyes of our understanding to to recognize and appreciate what the Lord Jesus was doing and what he was teaching to his disciples and to us in these hours of private time with the disciples. So we've asked for your blessing in Jesus' name, amen. The uh, washing of feet is something that people have talked about a lot and marveled at, that the Lord Jesus would humble himself and wash the feet of his disciples. I think that it's good to remember as well that there's significance in this foot washing for the Lord because the first time you see feet being washed in the Bible is when the Lord came up to Abraham's tent and he washed the Lord's feet. Uh, And so I think for the Lord to have Abraham, his friend, wash his feet was something that he probably treasured throughout the centuries and the millennia. And now to come to Abraham's descendants and wash their feet is, uh, you know, there's that, I don't know if nostalgia is the right word, but it's a, it was a beautiful, precious uh, gift that Abraham gave to him, and now he's returning to his descendants. But he's putting meaning into this as he begins to explain to the disciples that there's more going on here than what meets the eye. It's not just a matter of, of humbling himself and, and washing dirt off their feet, but he, it's something that he expects them to do And he also understands that they don't understand it at the present time, but they will understand it later on. He gives a hint then in verse 10 as far as what he's talking about when Peter says, well, I need to have, I I want to have not just my feet, but my hands and my head washed. And the Lord says, look, this is, you don't need to have your entire body washed. You are already clean. And so we begin to understand that there is a concept here of cleanness versus uncleanness And we know from the Old Testament that cleanness, somebody who was clean, could approach to God. Somebody that was unclean could not. And so he's telling them, you are clean, but there is this need for foot washing. uh, I think, at least in in my experience, I think we've lost kind of the, the reality of the necessity for foot washing. Uh, or at least, you know, the vivid imagery of it. <laughs> I mean, how many times have you experienced walking into a room? Usually this happens with a bunch of teenage guys or something like that. You walk into a room, you sit down, hang out with your friends, and there's that distinct odor of somebody that's got some really nasty-smelling feet. has been sitting inside leather shoes or whatever. they sweated up to no end, and now they've taken their shoes off, and the odor has hit the room, and you know what it's like. I mean, you're sitting there, and you're trying to figure out, all right, who's got the stinky feet? And then, might even check your own feet to see what's going on. But it completely changes the tone of the entire conversation of the evening. Like, you can't just hang out and have fun. It's like, where is this raunchy odor coming from? Who's at fault? And then when you figure out who's got it, it's like, ah, bummer to be you, pal. And it changes your interaction with them. That's the setting here. You've got Jesus wanting to bring his disciples in for a meal, a Passover meal, that whole Passover meal experience would be ruined if there's somebody there with stinky feet. How are you going to sit there and talk about the blessings of God while well, you can't hardly breathe because the guy's feet stink so bad? This is the, 
I think that's the vivid reality of what's going on here is that the Lord says, look, you can't have any part with me. We can't have a good dinner together, good fellowship, if you've got stinky feet. Your feet have to be washed. Now, in that reality is the the comment from John that the Lord Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he says that Jesus knew that he would depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. So the idea is that the Lord Jesus wanted these men to eat with him. He wanted to have that fellowship with the mealtime around this Passover and to be able to, you know, it's both the spiritual element and that you're remembering what God did for the Israelites when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. And also the time of fellowship, of being with each other and sharing that whole experience. He wanted them because he loved them. And yet the whole experience would be ruined if one of them had stinky feet. You wouldn't be able to have that enjoyment. You wouldn't be able to have part with the Lord Jesus with stinky feet. And because of his love for them and his great desire to eat this meal with them together and to to enjoy the fellowship... He got down preemptively and he washed every one of their feet so that there was no issue with stinky feet. His love made him do that. So verse 12, when he had washed their feet, taking his garments, he sat down again and he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? I have made it so that we can have happy fellowship together. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I, then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than he who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. He wants us to do the same to one another, to be able to, when you come into, come across somebody who's got stinky feet, to do what it takes so that you're able to have happy fellowship and not have that disturbance of the stinky feet inside your group. Blessed are you to do these things. Because the Lord wants to have fellowship with us not just me as an individual, but he wants to have fellowship with us as a group. And if somebody's got stinky feet, the fellowship with a group is going to be kind of ruined. And he goes on and he says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. And I tell you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am he. And most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me, and he who receives me sends, receives him who sent me. So here at this point, the Lord acknowledges that there is going to be, inevitably, within your group, people who are simply not washed. And you're not going to know who these people are. I mean, it's you walk into the room and you smell stinky feet. You don't know if the stinky feet are just the feet, or it's a result because the person hasn't taken a shower in two weeks. 
Sometimes it's hard to tell the difference, whether it's just stinky feet or whether it's a lack of a shower. In this case, he's referring to Judas Iscariot, when the disciples had no idea that this was the man who was, though he was chosen as a disciple and as an apostle, he was not saved. He was not one of God's children. But he says, you go and you attempt to wash these people's feet. And when somebody comes to wash your feet, when they say, look, you have stinky feet and they want to wash your feet so that you can have happy fellowship, you receive them. Don't turn them away. A person who hasn't taken a shower, they probably won't receive very kindly somebody who comes up and says, look, you've got a problem and uh, we need to get this cleaned. Sometimes it's hard because sometimes the person coming up to wash your feet seems to be using a, uh, instead of a nice little sponge, you're using a rock to try to scrape the mud off your feet. Sometimes they want to try to knock the mud off your feet. You know, they're not very kind in how they come up to knock the mud off your feet. I think the Lord knows that. But he says, you know, if you receive them as somebody who is sent by me to wash off your feet so that you can have happy fellowship, then you're happy if you do these things. So when Jesus said these things, because now he's going to take the metaphor and he's going to start to illustrate the reality of it, of the reality behind the metaphor. When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, most assuredly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Well, here he's talking now. He's going to, he's going to show, uh, go from the metaphor and going to show the reality of somebody who is unwashed. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. And Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask who it was of whom Jesus spoke. And then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is he to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I've dipped it. And having dipped the bread, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And so Judas is exposed as the one who would betray the Lord Jesus. Now after, the piece of, after, uh, after Judas had received the piece of bread, Satan entered him, and Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought, because Judas had the money box, that Jesus said to him, buy those things that we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. And having received the piece of bread, he went out immediately, and it was night. I think the little conversation where Peter motioned to John, he said, come here. I think John got up from his reclining position, and he went over to Peter and said, what do you want? Peter's like whispering in his ear, you should ask Jesus who it is. And then John, I think he went back and reclined back on on Jesus' chest, and, and asked the Lord privately, Lord, who is it? And I think the Lord privately answered John and said, it's the one that I'm going to give the bread to. And I think that's why the disciples then were confused when Judas got up. I think Judas may have gotten up and he may have grabbed the money box as he went out. And I think that's maybe why they thought that he was going out to buy something because you know, you're not going to hug the money box while you're sitting there at the table. But he got up and he grabbed the money box, which is odd. <laughs> you go out and betray the Lord so you grab the money box I want to take what's important anyhow anyhow he goes out and he goes out into the night this is a man who is has looked like a follower of the Lord but he is not he is though he has been in fellowship with the Lord 
Yet now he has raised up his heel and against the Lord. This is the reality of what the Lord Jesus is talking about. This is one who is not clean. Verse 31, so when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. I think, in effect, this is the Lord Jesus saying to his disciples, Now the hour has come. I have spoken about this hour throughout the ministry, throughout the time that you guys have been with me. Now it's here. And he doesn't use, I think in chapter 12, I think he also said that the hour is now, the hour has come when the, when the Gentiles came to him. But now he's telling them in kind of a different way. He said, now the Son of Man is glorified. He's obviously talking about the cross, that he's going to the cross. How is Jesus glorified in going to the cross? Because he, he used to sit on the throne of heaven at the right hand of the Father, and now he is going to be stripped naked, he's going to be beaten, and he's going to be nailed to cross in shame in front of so everybody can see his shame in what way is he thus glorified and of course it's not physical glory that he had at the cross but a moral glory it's there on the cross where Jesus is exposed not just physically but you see who he is in his personality to the very core this is where we really find out the reality of who Jesus is. And we see compassion, and we see love, and we see willingness to forgive, and we see humility, and we see a dedication to do the will of God. All these beautiful characteristics in the Lord Jesus Christ are put on display. The very inner recesses of who he is as a person is just put on display for us to examine. And it's glorious. And he's doing this according to the will of God. This is... God who sent him, and so God is glorified in him. And being that God is glorified in him, God is going to glorify the Lord Jesus and lift him up to the highest place in, in of all. But to disciples, they're not going to see glorification. So he says in verse 33, Little children, I shall be with you a little longer. You will seek me. As I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He is going to go away. That's what they're going to see. They're not going to see him glorified in the cross immediately. They're going to see him going away into death. And he's telling them that it is vital for them to love one another now at this point. Because when the Lord Jesus was there, he was the center. He was the reason that they gathered together. And I've noticed that with like families. Say you've got parents, you know, parents and they have their kids. And the parents are the reason that the kids come together. Especially as the kids get older and they become, they get families of their own. They still come back to their parents, and you have family gatherings where they come back because the parents are there. And when the parents die, they get old grandparents and they die, the other families don't get together as often, and sometimes it stops almost altogether where you rarely ever get together anymore. It's like the parents are what 
kept the family together. Now the Lord Jesus is going to be gone, and he says, in order for you to keep together, you need to love one another. That's what's going to keep you together. You know, there are different reasons why families don't get together anymore. Maybe somebody gets offended, and, and mom and dad aren't there to kind of pull you back together. And so because of that fence, then now you don't spend any time together. Somebody's got stinky feet, and it becomes tough to get together anymore. So he says a new command, love one another, and so forth. And I think what happens next is a living example of what he means. Simon Peter said to him in verse 36, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you shall follow me afterward. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. And I think all the disciples sitting around, I think there's a good chance that they probably said, yeah, you know, if anybody's going to lay down their life for the Lord Jesus, it probably would be Peter. I mean, he's the one who recognized that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, and said it in front of all of us without any embarrassment. I mean, like, yeah. But Jesus answered him, will you lay down your life for my sake? Most assuredly, I say to you, the rooster shall not crow till you have denied me three times. How do you have happy fellowship with somebody who denied the Lord Jesus like Peter did? Imagine the upper room after Lord Jesus has died, and you got the disciples gathered together, a bunch of disciples, maybe seven or eight of them are there, and then the door opens and in walks Peter, the denier. You know, like, well, conversation all of a sudden becomes a little awkward. Just as if Peter had stinky feet. It just kind of like changes the whole atmosphere of the room. You get somebody like that come into there. What do you, how do you, how do you have happy fellowship with somebody that's a failure like Peter? This is the context the Lord Jesus says, by this, this is my, he says, this is my new commandment, that you love one another. How do you love a sinner and failure like Peter? Because that's the reality with which we're faced. I mean, face it, when we get together, we're a group of people who have stinky feet. How do you love and have happy fellowship with them? So the Lord Jesus says in verse 14, Let not your heart be troubled, You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Just think about this from Peter's perspective. Suppose he took, he didn't, but suppose he did. Suppose he took the Lord's words seriously. We know he he kind of scoffed at the Lord at the time, but suppose he had taken the Lord's words seriously and he realized, I mean, later he took the Lord's words seriously, right? Like after he denied the Lord, he was like, I guess Jesus was right. Suppose you're standing there and and you realize, I'm going to deny the Lord. I don't know if Peter, I don't know if John had a chance to tell Peter that the Lord was going to give a piece of bread to the man that was going to betray him. 
Because it almost seems like the John asked Jesus, and Jesus said, well, it's the one I'm going to give this piece of bread to, and immediately reached out. Well, John didn't have a chance to get over and tell Peter, it's Judas. So I don't know, Peter may be standing here, and he's told him, you're going to deny the Lord. He's like, I'm the betrayer? You know, what? how he would have taken this. And then for the Lord Jesus to say to him, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God... speaking in terms of their belief in God through the Old Testament, right? What they knew of God back in the days. You believe in the one true living God, the holy God, the one who is righteous, the one who is holy and pure, the one before whom the sin has no place in front of him. If you're going to be even the slightest unclean, you cannot come into his presence or near his tabernacle, near his dwelling. You have to be cleansed before you can come near God. He's the holy one. You believe in God. So Peter, if you're going to deny his son, what does that do between you and God? That's what would trouble Peter, would shake him to the core to know that the holiness, the righteousness of God and his own failure and denial. You believe in God, says Jesus, believe also in me. (laughs) This is a whole new element, a whole new perspective of God, a revelation of God. The Lord Jesus is the one who came and died for sinners, to take sinners to be with God. You believe also me, he says, look, this is this is what I do. In my father's house are many places for dwelling. You can live. It's not that well I mean, I mean, what the Lord Jesus is saying is like, look, there's a place where God dwells, where he calls home. And I'm going to take and make a spot for you there where God was. Now, Peter's got stinky feet. So if, as, the, as the one who denied the Lord, he got stinky, how's he going to go into God's house and feel comfortable there with stinky feet? It's like not possible. But the Lord Jesus is going to do it. He's going to prepare a place in the Father's house where he can live there at ease. Not uncomfortably, like, is, is, you know, what's, is God thinking about my denial? Or what's, where's he at on this? You know, where, how, no, it's going to be a place where you're going to be at home. You're going to feel comfortable. You come there. This is what the Lord Jesus does. He's like, because I want you to be with me. I'm going to be living with my Father, and I want you to be with me. So I'm going to do it. So don't be troubled. You believe in God. You understand his holiness. You understand your sin. But believe in me. I am going to bring you to God. He did, too. When you think of Judas, who is Judas? Judas is the one that betrayed the Lord. When you think of Peter, who is Peter? Peter is an apostle. Why don't we think of Peter as the one who denied the Lord? Because the Lord washed his feet. How do you love one another? Because 
Because sometimes you get in a group and it's like people are like, I mean, they are who they are. And it's like, man, how do you ever get along with that kind of person? Those characters, you know. Because we understand who God is. We understand that God is righteous and that he's holy. And this person here is obviously not holy and I'm not holy either. But, you know, it's, well, believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Like he has the capacity to cleanse our feet. He goes on, he says, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's going to the Father. We can't get to the Father because unless we go through Christ. Like, he's the way to get to the Father. It's the only way. We don't get to the Father by reaching down and scrubbing off our own feet. You don't... I was talking to a girl last night and she said she thinks about it like you know you fall down in your sin in the mud and God reaches down his hand and she said like what we want to do is we want to get up and brush the mud off and when we get ourselves sufficiently clean then we reach up and grab his hand she says it's not like that you're down in the mud he reaches out his hand you're supposed to grab his hand he pulls you up out of mud and he brushes you off with you. Probably a pile of manure would have been more fitting. But this is the idea. Like he is going to the Father. He is the way to the Father. He will take care of the cleansing. He is the truth. It is for real. He is the life. You live in peace and joy before God through him. And he says, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. You know, then we'll believe whatever you say. But Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And yet you have not known me, Philip. He, uh, he who has seen me has seen the father. So how can you say, show us the father? Do you not believe that I am in the father and the father in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. What he's saying here is, look, I, what I am doing here is not on my own. The Father is actually working through me. Everything I do is what he has told me to do and so forth. So when I wanted you to come together with me for fellowship, it wasn't just me that wanted that. It was the Father in me that wanted that. When I got down and washed your feet so that we could have happy fellowship, it wasn't just me doing that. It was the Father in me that was doing that. You believe in God. You've seen him through the Old Testament. But I'm going to show you... A, you now you can know God. I'm not come, I'm not going up and I'm going to prepare a house so you can be with myself. My house, I'm going to the Father's house because He wants you there. He, it's like He says, you, you need to realize that what I am doing here is everything that God wants to bring you to be with Him. And then he says, he says that in verse 11, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. Or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. I've puzzled over this for a long time, because he says the same kind of thing to the Jews, I think in John 10, it might not be that chapter, but he says to them, 
you know, if you can't believe my words, well, at least believe the works so that you can know that I've come from God. And so I've been confused about this because here he tells the disciples, believe, uh, or, you know, believe me for the sake of the works themselves. And I'm trying to think like, the Jews, he was talking about the works of miracles and so forth. You know, see the miracles I do and recognize that I've been sent from God. I mean, at least believe that part of it so that then you can start to believe my words. But this is, I think he's talking about different works here. He's not talking about his miracles. He's talking about his works that he has done to the disciples. He's washed their feet. See what I do to you. See how I am doing what is necessary to bring you into fellowship. See how I go to the cross for you. See what I'm that I'm doing, what it takes to bring you into fellowship with God. You see what he's doing, and you see that God is definitely working through the Lord Jesus. I mean, like they're working in complete harmony. It's not Jesus going out to try to salvage the human race. It's God reaching out to us, and the Lord Jesus reaching out to us, and to and working in perfect harmony to bring us. And you can tell by looking at his works. I mean, that's that's what he's doing. He's not just washing the disciples' feet so that they can have fellowship with him, but they have fellowship with the Father, too. Most assuredly, verse 12, then I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father and whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So if we put this concept of works into the context of foot washing, what he's saying then is that if you believe in him, if you believe that he, has, he is going to take care of all the dirt and uncleanness in order to bring you into fellowship with God, then you will be in a position to where you can do the same works and encourage other people to trust in God the same way that you do. And these are greater works in the sense, not that not that you're doing something more powerful, but because of, I, don't, I don't even know how to put it in words. <clears throat> but let's suppose, let's suppose you had a man who was gone... Daryl, let's say Daryl, he had a big bad act. You know, he's seen him hobble around a little bit, right? You know, he just he can hardly stagger around and stuff like that. Let's say that it wasn't just a temporary deal, but let's say that was permanent, where he's he's hobbling around all the time, but he's working really hard because he wants to be able to get to the point where he can run a hundred yards and and without collapsing. And and so then you so let's say you've got now Ethan on the other hand, and Ethan's going to run a hundred yards too. So you put the two at the at the one end of the football field, and you say, okay, let's go. And Ethan takes off, and he runs at 100 yards in like four seconds flat or whatever. That is impressive. I mean, like the grace and the speed with which he can run is so smooth. He doesn't even trip once all the way down to the end. And you got Daryl there, and he's kind of hobbling along, and he goes along, and it's, he's never been able to go this far before without falling over. And he finally gets down to the end of the football field, and he made it without falling over, without collapsing. Whose work is greater? Well, Ethan, he's a young kid. Of course he can run 100 yards. 
and it's impressive and it's beautiful. But to a man that's handicapped and has struggled and worked for a long, long time, to get to the point where he can make that 100 yards without falling over, that's a greater work. Okay, so that's the idea that he's talking here, is that you're going to do something greater, not because it's more impressive than what the Lord Jesus has done, but because of where you started out. Peter, you denied the Lord. And we are going to see Peter reach the point to where he can preach to 3,000 Jews and tell them, Repent, and God will receive you too. So anyone that believes in the Lord Jesus and knows that the Lord has cleansed them is in the position where they can do that same great work of communicating the reality of the cleansing in the Lord Jesus Christ that he can completely remove the stench and bring you into happy fellowship with God. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in his Son. And you know, put that statement into the context of foot washing and see where it takes you. So he goes on to tell the disciples, if you love me, keep my commands. And this is, Dad spoke about this concept, you know, he was, he was talking about keeping the law, that it's not that you obey every command absolutely perfectly, but it's that this body of the law, the Jews were to continually come back to it. When they wandered away, they were, they were to make that the center of their life. Not that they were able to obey every command, but that's the center, that's their, their guiding post. You, that's where they live around, live within. Keep my commands, make my commands your goal in life, the place where you live to love one another, to wash one another's feet. Make that your goal. I, I see three commands here that he gives the disciples. You've got that command to love one another, and you've got the command... to follow the Lord's example, to wash one another's feet. And then you've got the command to let not your heart be troubled. Live there. You might not be able to do it perfectly, but keep my commands. If you, if you love the Lord, how do you love the Lord? You recognize that he has cleansed you of some very real stench. Because of his love for you. He loved us first. And we love him because he loved us first. If you love me, keep my commands and I will pray to the Father. He will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. 
and the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I do not leave you orphans, I will come to you. In other words, it's not keeping these commands of the Lord is not, we're not left up to our own resources to live in that place. He's going to send the Holy Spirit to remind us of these realities of the cleansing in the Lord Jesus, his ability to keep and you know, all those different things like that. Not going to leave us on our own, but the Holy Spirit inside will bring this truth, these truths to our, our hearts and minds. Verse 19, a little longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And we know what that means. Because he lives, not physically lives, but spiritually. He's in the presence of God. Happy fellowship. That's where, that's life. Because he lives, we live as well. We have happy fellowship with God. We know that. Because I live, you will live also. At that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's quite something, not? He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. I think when he says, if anyone loves me, it's synonymous with the idea, if anyone rests in me, if anyone does not let their heart be troubled, but they believe in me, those are the people that love him. I think that's the underlying idea. It's not just an emotional love where you just kind of rouse yourself into feeling good feelings towards the Lord, but it's the recognition of his love towards us so that our heart is not troubled about our own failures and our own flaws or the failures of others, or flaws of others, but to rest in, rest in him, that, uh, that's where love is. That's, you see he loves you, and then you love him. If you love me, you will keep my word. Yeah, you bet you. I mean, how, that, of course, that's synonymous. His word, let not your heart be troubled of, of uh, washing one another's feet, of loving one another. You're, you're going to put that into the center of your life. My father will love. When God sees that, my father will love him. We will come to him and make our home with him. That word home there is the same Greek word as mansions at the beginning of this chapter when Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions, many places to dwell. And it's interesting, I don't, I don't know, it's almost overwhelming to see the Lord bring this around full circle to be talking about, I will bring you to be with me where I am. But even before he brings us home to be with him, when we 
keep his word and let not their heart be troubled, he will come and make his home in us. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. I think I think this is kind of the stinky feet that the Lord would be most concerned about. Those who do not love him because, you know, not that they're trying not to love him, but they're not resting in his word. And it's hard to generate love if you don't see that the Lord loves you to the extent that he will humble himself and wash your feet. And it's good to have someone come up to you and remind you of the Lord's love and to to wash. So that, I mean, that's, John will write later in his epistle like that, is the key then to fellowship is rejoicing in God and in the Son, what he's done, and together. Probably worth reading the verse. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. Truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you that your joy may be full. And then he goes on to talk about how the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. And that's that's where the fellowship is at. The word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. The Holy Spirit will confirm within our hearts the reality of what the Lord Jesus has said. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Back again, full circle. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The peace that the Lord gives is different than the world. The world gives a peace that is merely absence of conflict. You can have, you know, if you can just kind of push out all bad thoughts or all conflict out of the realm, out of your realm, then you have peace. Peace that the Lord Jesus gives is a peace that is there in the midst of conflict, in the midst of trouble. So that Peter uh, could fail, deny the Lord, and still be at, potentially, he could still be at peace because he knows the reality of the Lord's cleansing him of sin. The Lord's peace is a real thing. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Rest in him. You have heard me say, I am going away and coming back to you. If you love me, you you would rejoice because I said, I'm going to the Father. My Father is greater than I. He says, it's wonderful to have you with me, but it is far better to have you with the Father. So you and me are with the Father. This is, this, it's, I mean, how are you going to even compare if the Lord is with them on earth or if they are with the Father in his house? It's far better 
to be with the Lord in the Father's house. And now I have told you before it comes that when it does come to pass, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the rule of this world is coming, and he has nothing in me, but that the world may know that I love the Father. And as the Father gave me a commandment, so I do. So he went to the cross to demonstrate to the world that he was not operating independently, but he was operating in adherence to the will of God. And the world knows it now. They deny it, but they know it, that Jesus' death on the cross was not just a random happening coincidence. It had significance that went up to the levels of God. I mean, you can't hardly deny it. Then he says, arise. Let us go from here. For the disciples, it meant getting up from the table and going out. For us, in the not-too-distant future, when he says, arise, let us go from here, it'll mean leaving here and going to his Father's house. Our Father, again, we want to thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the full and perfect salvation that he has provided, the cleansing from all of our sin, fully accepted by you at home in your house. Truly, that was the hour when he was glorified. When he accomplished what was hidden in your heart, the desire to bring these people to yourself and for everybody to be comfortable and at home with one another. Despite our sin, but we can know the truth and the reality of his words to let not our heart be troubled that he has brought us peace with you. And we do look forward to this next time when he says, Arise and let us go from here. We give you thanks in his name. Amen.